How's it going, everybody? This is Tyler. This is Danny. And we're here for another episode of Fried Squirms, where we're going to get stoned and talk about some horror movies. This week will be Banshee Chapter. We'll get to it. <laughs> I already want to start saying things, but I'm going to hold back. I'm going to hold back because there's more important things to get to. Being the Fried Squirms, we need to get a little fried. Let's get to our green hits. Danny, today, what was this you brought? You Actually, I do know what it is this time, but I'm asking for the sake of our listeners. Oh, no worries. So this week I brought over the sugar cookie strain picked up here at Flower Local Dispensary. And this is a 50-50 hybrid. It is a cross of the infamous Sensei Star, Crystal Gale, and Blue Hawaiian strains. Now its effects, you'll feel euphoric, happy, relaxed, and you'll get uplifted. And the flavors on this, it says that it's buttery, has bits of coffee notes, it's sugary, and it's sweet. And the THC range is somewhere in the mid-20s here at Flower. This guy is clocking in at 27%. So Ooh. pretty high up there on the THC scale. Brought you some Sour D. Put my D in your mouth. I love it when it's sour. Sour D, Sativa, Chemdog crossed with Super Skunk, Dreamy, Fast Acting, Energizing, Sour D is one of those ones that's kind of a staple at this point, right? I love Sour D, yeah. I also got this down at Flower. This is puffing in at 24.9% for THC. Peppery, herbal, get at that D. Get my peppery <laughs> D in your mouth. I'm liking it. I'm going to light this up, too. And uh, then I suppose we can probably get into the guts and bolts of Banshee Chapter. Guts and bolts. All right, Guts and Bolts, Banshee Chapter. Who and what went into the movie? Spoiler-free until we get to our next section where we're actually going to talk about it. Start with the spoiler-free setup for all of you. Okay, Banshee Chapter is pseudo-found footage. At times shot to sort of imply almost pseudo-mockumentary of a gal trying to find out what happened to her friend when he was making a documentary about drugs opening portals to weird stuff. Oh, so lots of conspiracy theories. There's other ways that I want to describe this movie <laughs> that I think give it away too much. No, that's understandable. I'll get yeah. to those in the other section. So yeah, that's why this is a spoiler-free setup. <laughs> All right, so from week to week, we do like to talk about the people going to making the film, and the actors and actresses in front of the cameras. And this week, our director in one half of the writing team is Blair Erickson. Now, this gentleman doesn't have very many credits to his name. It's mostly a lot of short films. He's got one called In Memory Of. I think it's somewhere in limbo in between production. Okay. So it's really the only other credit to his name. And his writing partner on this is Daniel J. Healy. And this is really the only credit to his name. All right, cinematographer on this is Jeremy Obertone. And he's known for the films The Portrait, Rain Sun, and the film Whitman. Our editor is Jacques Grivet, and Jacques actually got some really cool credits to his name. All right, so he's mostly known for a lot of television work, but when you look at some of the series, you know why I'm bringing them up. So a television series I've brought up several times in the past. He worked on Carnival for three episodes back in 2003. He did 16 episodes of Battlestar Galactica from 2004 through 7. Mm. He worked on four episodes of The Shield back in 2008. He did eight episodes of Sons of Anarchy from 2008 through 9. 
He's worked on such things as Being Mary Jane for six episodes, Chicago Justice for five episodes. He's done such things as uh, Mr. Mercedes. So he's got his fingerprints on a lot of really cool television series. All right, moving forward, we have the music composed by Andreas Weidinger. He's known for such films as Ironclad, Battle for Blood, Charlotte Link, M. Tall de Fuchs, and The Magic Kids, Three Unlikely Heroes. All right, the special effects were done by Scott Hastings, and this gentleman, once again, has got some really cool credits to his name. If you look throughout his filmography, he's worked on such things as The Lost World Jurassic Park back in 97. He worked on Ghost of Mars, The Majestic, which, if you're a fan of Jim Carrey and you want to see a little hidden gem, that's a really good film, dude. All right, he's also worked on such things as Spy Kids 2. It's kind of sure. interesting, okay. yeah. He's also worked on Employee of the Month, which... When we get into the cast, it's going to be brought up a bunch. It's interestingly enough. He's also worked on the film Sunshine Cleaning, uh, which is a really good film. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. Terminator Salvation, The Book of Eli. He's worked on the film Paul, which is another one I'd highly recommend. Yeah, and some television series. I haven't series. seen Paul in way too long. I need to rectify that soon because that movie was uh, fucking hilarious. Nice. Like I say, yeah, more recently he worked on the television series The Unsettling for seven episodes back in 2019. We have the producers, Zachary Quinto which is an interesting name on this. Sean Akers and Christian Arnold Butel. Production companies were Sun Chaser Entertainment, Before the Door Pictures, and Favorite Film. The distributor was Accelerator Media and Alameda Entertainment for the 2013 United States, and this was for all media. The release date was August 22, 2013, in Germany at the Fantasy Film Fest, and it had a stateside release December 12, 2013. It was released on the internet back then. The budget was an estimated $950,000, and the slug line slash tagline is the experiments are over, the terror has just begun. Okay. Right. Not the worst tagline. No, not the worst. Not the best, but definitely not the worst. Yeah. All right. Moving into the cast, we actually have a gentleman we've talked about a couple times before, and I'm going to lead off with Ted Levine. He plays the role of Thomas Blackburn, which I know we're going to talk about his character a little bit later on, but... We talked about Mr. Levine back on episode 90 when we talked about the Hills of Eyes, and we also talked about him on episode 97. He went uncredited, but he was the voice of a trucker when we did Joyride. Candy cane. You candy cane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a fun episode, dude. But, you know, a couple other things of note. I mean, I mean hello. <laughs> I've heard, like, unfortunately, like, this has followed him. This is the only thing almost he'll get recognized for in public is he's forever going to be fucking James Gum. Yeah, Buffalo Bill, crazy Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, but that's it's because crazy. fucking he gave us the tuck. If it wasn't for the tuck, you might not remember him quite as much. Would you fuck me? <laughs> I'd fuck me. I know, we were just talking about Jamie Hughes not too long ago. <laughs> she a big fat person. <laughs> yeah, you're about a size 16. <laughs> so a few other notable roles he was in nowhere to run back in 93 he was in the film bullet in 96 the fast and the furious from 2001 uh he was bloodbath mcgrath in wild wild west there you go he was in memoirs of a geisha american gangster shutter island jurassic world fallen kingdom and the report from 2019 and he's got a slew of other films and television credits to his name as well all right, moving forward, we have actress Katya Winter, who plays the role of Anne Roland. Now, when I looked through her filmography, her credits, all that good stuff, I was like, man, 
I should know where I recognize her from because she was on Dexter for like several episodes. I want to say in the last season. It was either next or last season. I also was like, I should recognize her. And I recognize her name. I remember seeing it pop up in credits. I just couldn't place her until I looked her up. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, she was Freitas Eric's daughter in Legends of Tomorrow. But more importantly, I actually watched all of Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> And like, she's um, Ichabod Crane's wife. That's pretty wild. Yeah, Katrina Crane. That's pretty neat. But she plays Nadja, and she's a stripper in the Dexter television series. And she is also in the upcoming season three of The Boys as Little Nina, which is kind of interesting. All right, moving forward, we have Michael McMillan. He plays the role of James Hirsch. This gentleman has some really cool credits to his name as well. Some people might know him for his roles as Henry Gibson on What I Like About You. He was also Steve Newland. On the HBO series True Blood, he played Owen on Hot in Cleveland and Tim in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Now, he's also the creator and writer of a comic book entitled Lucid, which is really interesting. Yeah, like I said, he's got some other things of note. The Hells of Eyes Part 2, I thought was interesting. He was in um, an episode of Eight Simple Roles. He was in Firefly, Fight Club, which is with the uh, video game, so he voiced a character there. So, <laughs> no interesting. Shit. I owned that game. No shit. Yeah. There you it go. was, eh, it was fine. Uh, <laughs> I hear you there. All right, we have Corey Musa. He plays patient number 11. Now, this gentleman is more known for being a producer more so than an actor. So he's got a lot of production credits to his name. All right, we have Monique Candelaria. She plays the role of patient number 14 in the film. She's actually got some really cool credits to her name. So uh, when you look through her filmography, more recently she played Yahima in Lovecraft Country. Oh, that was her? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, she played the role of Lucy. Now, Lucy, when I looked to see who it was, she was like a Denny's waitress on Breaking Bad. Oh, so if okay. you follow the series, it was like uh, right before the turret gun reveal. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, and she also gets done kind of dirty in Lovecraft Country. I haven't watched all of it, so I need to... She was like the one thing that like the directors actually like apologized for. Oh, shit. Okay. Because it involved some bad stuff happening to some very underrepresented people. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I, when you consider her background, that makes mm -hmm. sense. Okay, so, yeah, and like I said, she's got a ton of other television series credits and what have you, too, so need to see her in this. We have Jenny Gabriel. She plays the role of Callie. Now, she was one of the people I mentioned who we're going to see for the Employee of the Month pop-ups because she was in that. She was like a scanner during one of the scenes. She was also in Hamlet Part 2. That is the Steve Coogan film. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> she was in Spy School. She's also in Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials. She's in the films Only the Brave and The Space Between Us. All right, moving forward, we have Chad Brummett. Plays the role of Dr. Kessel. He's one of the doctors in the videos. Okay. All right. He was in the films 310 to Yuma. He was in the film Brothers. Like the new 310 to Yuma, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was in the <laughs> he film. He wasn't like a sperm oh, in the wow. original. Oh, that'd be crazy. <laughs> uh, he was in the films Crazy Heart. He was in the film MacGruber and The Lone Ranger. So he's been in a few films with Johnny Depp as well, which I wanted to mention. All right, we have Vivian Nesbitt. She plays the role of Olivia Kimmich. She was also in Breaking Bad, the television series, back in 2008. She was in the films Cross Lines and the film Cryptid. We have William Sturkey. He plays the role of Henry Kale. He's uh, the guy who's like the radio expert. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was also in Employee of the Month. He was also in the film Sunshine Cleaning, Observe and Report, The Men Who Stare at Goats, Crazy Heart, 
Hell or High Water and The Space Between Us. And last but not least, I have Alex Giannopoulos. He plays the role of Rennie Segan. He's like the friend of James who's documenting okay. him. Yeah. He was uh, a part of Breaking Bad's television series back in 2013, and he was in the film The Wave. So that pretty much rounds out the cast and crew in my notes. I know you gave us a brief setup. We should give you a few warnings. Not very many, but a few warnings. I mean, there's some blood. There's some frightening imagery, I think, I would, yeah, is I think that's the a good way, way to put, to put it. it. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting that. There's some drug use. Yeah. There's cursing. Yeah, you know, a little bit of nudity. Yeah, a little bit. You're right. More of the like sort of blink and you'll miss it kind for the most part. That's but, a solid point. Yeah. Or in a medical sense, I guess there is during one of the like medical sessions, there's yeah. some boobs, but. I'm trying to think. It's not very graphic or anything. No. I mentioned conspiracy theories. They're all over this. Yeah. And I mean, there's some like some unsettling use of sound and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's about it really. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about it. Let's just go find out how this made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right. So this is an interesting one because it's the first time we've chosen a movie this way, but possibly not the last. Do you want to bring up your awesome book and like your, your little Prezi? Yeah, so I know I brought this over, let's see, it's been a little while, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to think which film it was. Oh, I know what it was. It was The Descent. So, yeah, so my sister picked up this book for me around Christmas time. It's called The Book of Horror, The Anatomy of Fear in Film. It is done by Matt Glasby and illustrated by Barney Bodoano. So anyway, it discusses films, like horror films, post-World War II, ones that are strictly horror, I think there's is what they're kind of leaning on. Or okay. That's it's like trying to not blend too many different genres in right. the horror. So anyway, this was in the book. And the thing that captured my eye and the reason why I brought it up last week is it says that it leans on this cosmic horror subgenre. And it's like there's some X-Files kind of loosely based themes in here. And it's like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. You're mixing cosmic horror with X-Files and conspiracy theories and... Ted Levine, yeah, Levine, my, yeah. however you say his name. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Katya I was like, okay. Winter. Yeah, I'm like, like, I know I recognize the name. Like, it sounds interesting. I mean, it's a film I have heard of before, but wasn't super familiar with. It's like, you know, let's see what it's about. You know, it's a suggestion, if nothing else. Okay, so this is the way that I actually want to describe this movie, but I felt like it gave too much away. It's from beyond, except replace the tuning fork with DMT and replace Jeffrey Combs with Ted Levine playing Hunter S. Thompson and make it somehow both wilder than that and more boring than what that sounds like all at the same time. That is a very solid point. (laughs) Which it's hard to debate, man, or argue with that because that's kind of how I felt about this too. It's like, it does feel like from beyond without all the weird Stuart Gordon and Brian using the shit going on, you know, which it tries to replace with all the weird conspiracy shit. Yes. So that was kind of their filler, I suppose. But I mean, I know we'll get into it, but I felt like the ideas were really strong. It's just the execution. Not so much. It, had it feels like one of those ones where like somebody just learned about this shit last week. And so they decided <laughs> to write about it. Yeah. That's a solid point, man. Well, I don't know how accurate this is, but I heard that the script for this was originally (laughs) the, like, first version of the Uwe Boll 
Alone in the Dark script. Yeah, I'm looking at that same information right in front of me. Am I right on that? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So the very first Alone in the Dark video game, heavily Lovecraftian inspired and instrumental in the very foundations of the survival horror genre. Every subsequent iteration of that game becomes a little bit more action-based, though the enemies do still tend to be, like, based in the Lovecraftian. This is... I mean, it is fucking from beyond, technically. Right. It doesn't feel very cosmic horror-y to me, man. No, but, I mean, I understand what they were going for. It's there. It's It's technically there. there. I'm not going to say it's not there. Right. It's just... I think it's not exactly what we were anticipating or looking forward to mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of that subgenre in particular. Considering the films that we have done, it is kind of lacking, you know. But I mean, I get it. Considering course, that we did From Beyond, uh, yeah, and you know, uh, just Lovecraft in general. You know, there's several of those films we've reviewed, but this one, I think, it leans a little bit more into the dread and more. Uh, I don't know, though, the peripheral, you know, like there's a lot of electromagnetic interference. It's playing a lot with signals and not types of media. Right, right. And you just get glimpses of the quote unquote beings or the ancient ones or whatever you want to describe them mm-hmm. as, you know. OK, so first off, the MK Ultra stuff. <laughs> yeah. Terrible that it happened. If you read up on like all the shit that's been found out about it, I'm tired of real conspiracies being based on it. Yeah. If that makes sense, because I guess the way that I think about it is the reason we know about MK Ultra is because it failed. If it would have worked, we never would have heard anything about it. Yeah, and that's kind of the whole point. You know what I mean? So like basing conspiracies out of MK Ultra means you're already basing it off of a failure to me. Solid point. I get the reasoning behind it though, because it was all like screwed up shit that our government really did. Oh, yeah. And I guess when you do research on that kind of stuff, you see how much of it was kind of a race with other nations and intelligence. And when you're messing with hallucinogenics and the you know general public, that's when it gets really fucky. I can't remember if it was Gottlieb or one of the other guys that was heavily involved, but motherfucker just liked to fucking spike his co-workers shit with acid all the time yeah that's fucking crazy dude <laughs> that is nuts just to be like just to see what happened yeah to these trained cia agents and then yeah exactly see what happens <laughs> but he would just like dose his fucking co-workers coffee and shit that's, just randomly that's fucking bonkers man because oh let's also like i don't know if they were technically successful but the CIA during this time period did literally try to buy the entire world's supply of LSD. Man, that's nuts. I can believe that, though, considering who we're talking about here. I don't know how successful they were, but they literally tried to buy the entire <laughs> world's supply of LSD. Yeah, we'll and I'm pretty sure spent the money to get probably 99% wow. of the world's LSD at that time period. <laughs> That's something else, man. I mean, it does open up the door for discussion when you tread in these kind of waters and this subject matter. And I think that's what makes it entertaining, if nothing else. It's just an interesting topic, mm-hmm. you know, whether you believe in a little bit or all of it or whatever or none of it, you know, it's still entertaining. Anyway, this movie hardly has to do with LSD at all, though. No. I'm surprised at how much DMT was almost demonized in this movie. 
that's a solid point. Yeah, there's a weird mix of a lot of stuff going on. You, you've right. already alluded to it at first. Is like it opens up in a way where you feel like it might be a mockumentary with some found footage, you know, strewn mm-hmm. in almost like last week in a sense, but not quite. <laughs> not quite. Well, there's definitely found footage that occurs in this movie. There is, but that's not what this is. And it's not explained why you're seeing the found footage at that point. It's literally just for the audience, which is one of the reasons why this movie is, is all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's exactly, it's like, it's fine. It works. We get it, you know. It's setting up the story as a mm-hmm. whole. But I think maybe the second time through, because the first time through, man, I had a hard time watching this film. I'm not going to lie. Second time through, though, because I was more equipped with the knowledge from the first time through, I was like, okay, even if I'm not like super paying attention, I get the message and I see what they're trying to do. And now I'm kind of paying attention to how are they trying to make this stuff work and flow. So legitimately, the first time through, I sped it up to 1.4 times and watched it through that way because I was having the same thing. I was like, this is... It was a struggle, dude. I'm not going to lie. You know, because it is it is a low-budget film. I mean, it's still a moderate budget, though. 950 mm-hmm. k that's not anything to sneeze at. But uh, it does feel like it just kind of plods, man, at times. And, I mean, I get it. There's some beats that are pretty decent. There's some scares here and there that... That work for the, its intended audience. I'm actually a little bit more impressed having learned what the budget actually was. I was guessing $4 million, Okay. And you can do a lot more with $4 million. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Finding out it was still in, being measured in Ks, not millions. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a little bit more impressed because some of the stuff does look pretty good. No, they do a fairly decent job. Like I said, it's a well-crafted film. I'll give them that. It's just Other not like, than the reliance on bad jump scares. That, that's what I'm saying. There's some things like that. 80% of the jump yeah. scares in this are wholly unearned type of jump scares. That and they're I know kind of telegraphed too. Like. Yeah, I mean, it's like, that's what I'm saying. It's for an intended audience that are not you and me. No. Because <laughs> that no, shit no. is like, it don't work, man. Your normal activity crowd's going to dig this movie. Yeah, that's kind of the crowd. Conjuring crowd's going to dig this movie. And there's that's nothing not wrong with us. that. That's it. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just we've seen so much of this that it's kind of worn thin at this point, you know. But nothing against it. If it works, it works. And I think its use is not bad. It's just it does. It's not effective for me, man. If you've never heard of MK Ultra, if you've never heard of Number Stations, yeah, no, then it makes it super interesting. Like it's an interesting topic, and it's going to be even at. creepier, right? Especially when you like, if you watch this movie and you're like, Number Station, bullshit, and yeah. you go look it up. No, that shit is creepy as fuck. Why that do these things exist? Creepy, I fucking dude. hate number stations existing. <laughs> oh, that's the stuff that will keep you up at night and make you wonder because it shit's so creepy, but it's a... But it's not used that greatly in this movie. No, no, no. But I mean, you kind of get it. You know, it's... it's. It was actually... It was better than I thought it was going to be when it eventually was like, oh, they're the ones that sent the recipe for the upgraded dmt yeah and i was like okay it makes sense why they're even though they just sent the recipe for dmt because they did not send to add in a fucking pineal gland secretion yeah yeah that's like i don't know there's some other stuff that they don't really get in depth with but regardless the concept itself still makes it interesting because Mm -hmm. it's like okay after you watch it and you understand that the dmt opens up your brain as like a, a receiver for the signal and I think because of the MK Ultra in this is with MK Ultra it was kind of a way to like hollow out a person so that they become a vessel for whatever deeds that you want to carry out. 
Yeah, usually when it's brought up, it's because of the mind control aspect that the CIA was trying. They were trying just all sorts of shit to try to see what they could do. Not yeah. just mind control, but just to see, like, if we give someone enough acid, do they just tell the truth? Because that could be really useful if we catch spies. Solid point. Yeah, I mean, it's not just one thing, like you were saying. It's a lot of shit they were trying to they tried discover. To, they tried to make Manchurian candidate type things. From what I understand, they were never successful. Like I said, which is probably why we know about it. They probably were not successful. Exactly. Because from what I understand, they figured out a way to wipe someone's memory with drugs. You can't program them after that. Yeah. They're fucked off drugs off that point. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's a hard drive. Once you erase it, they ain't putting shit back on it. <laughs> yeah. Like it's done. From I mean, what I understand, that was the problem. It's like, wow. you can super fuck someone's mind with drugs if you give them the right combination, oh, but it doesn't mean you can fucking program them after. Yeah. So in this case, because it's blending the cosmic horror mm -hmm. with the HP Lovecraft from beyond specifically, it does make this movie make sense. You know, it's like, yes. okay, we get it. And because our pineal gland does naturally produce DMT at a super low threshold, that's why we're not tripping all the time. Mm -hmm. We're seeing, you know, other stuff. But it's like, okay, doors of perception. If you know anything a little bit about DMT, you know, the stories behind it. So, you know, it's playing in an interesting spectrum, so to speak. And I can give it credit for that because it's blending conspiracy theories with drug use, DMT specifically, and communicating with these beings from a completely different universe or dimension. Uh, and it all makes sense because we've done this before. It's just a different way of doing it, mm -hmm. you know. And the story itself, it's kind of ah, – It's fine. It's fine. You know, it's like this – like you're saying, the kid – James, that is, he's he found out about MK Ultra. Was doing some research. He came across a group called what the uh, the Friends of Colorado or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a code. That, Friends in Colorado. Yeah, Friends in Colorado. That was a code that Thomas Blackburn, Ted Levine, Levine, who is super modeled. I mean, it's super fucking obvious okay. who he's modeled after. So, focusing really closely in on this first section first, the, the sort of weird <laughs> mockumentary opening. Yeah, yeah. With the way this movie pans out, I guess theoretically it would be found footage, but it seems like I could go into that for fucking forever, I feel like, with this movie. With the way that intercuts found footage in the form of just flashbacks for the audience for... It's like Expo and... Expo. Some, yeah, some more background behind this stuff. But the name of this movie is Banshee Chapter. He brings up like, oh, these people that had experiences with this drug across the globe in different cultures that had never interacted with each other all saw the same thing and they described it the same way. And then his cameraman, like two minutes later, is like, you said that they, you know, described it the same way. What did they call it? And he's like, that's actually the name of the chapter. Huh. And then that's when he starts bugging out. And he never actually says the name of the chapter. <laughs> Then after the end of that opening sequence, when he gets all fucked up, you know, we get the title opening Banshee chapter and you're like, okay, that's the name of the chapter, but nobody refers to it as a Banshee or them as Banshees at any time nope. ever. No, you're right. Ever. He doesn't. He just says that's the name of the chapter. Solid point. Cause it's never referenced. I don't think again throughout no. the rest of the film in any manner, but it's what you get. It's <laughs> <laughs> what we get. <laughs> I stop it. No. And that was also where I had my first flash of, oh no, this is one of those movies because of the way he ended up and the way it was shown on camera and the dumb Yeah, I, I was scare. kind of like, oh no. 
I was feeling that way too. It looked yeah. cool though. It did. Like I said, I'm not discrediting any of that stuff. It's just the hollowed out eyes look, mouth open, blood pouring it out. Works. It's classic, maybe cliched at this point, but for me, it almost always works. Like it is a good fucking horror look. Yeah. And you're right. It's creepy. It sticks with you, but it's not really our bag. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I said, it's no discredit because it's effective. But I just kind of felt like that. I was like, man, how much is this going to be? Like some of the films you mentioned earlier, but like on the lower scale. Yeah. Getting into like the back end of Netflix kind of catalog shit. <laughs> you know? Okay, so Friends in Colorado. That's where this movie got fucking wild because nobody told me that Ted Levine was going to be fucking playing Hunter S. Thompson in this goddamn movie. I know. And I was like, okay, I'm on board with that. I'm okay with that. I mean, yeah, it's cliche as fuck, but now, I'm I will okay say, with that. I think he actually got better as the movie went on. And he was put in situations where he couldn't just straight be Hunter S. Thompson. Good point. Where he had to actually, like, react to what's going on. Yeah, he couldn't ham it up, so to speak. Yeah. Like, I liked him hamming it up, but... It wouldn't uh, be as effective. Him having to force that character into these stressful situations rather than just being weirdo druggy. Exactly. And that's what makes his character flow. It's better. It's not just... uh a straight copycat of Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, because of mm-hmm. those situations he has to be put in and what have you. So, yeah. Because I've seen, effective. I've already seen the best Hunter S. that one could hope for, and that's <laughs> no. fucking Bill Murray. Uh, where the it, Buffalo's from? Yeah. That's great, man. Him and Peter Boyle? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fucking it's fantastic. Good. It's really good. Uh, I agree, dude. <laughs> Check it out if you don't know, right? A lot of people go to Fear and Loathing. Yeah, I mean, which is great. But that's because they probably haven't seen Where the Buffalo Roam. It happens, dude. <laughs> but, you know, we're here to uh, to help you out, school you a little bit, you know, <laughs> drop some knowledge. Uh, his character in the very beginning, because of how he's brought up, and I'm like, where is this film going with this, you know, at first? Because he, he kind of looks like a comic book kind of character, the way they, that mm-hmm. little montage or whatever they give him. And then, of course, you know, we get what we get, and it's it's not bad. Like I said, it, it makes sense because of what we learn about his character and all of that stuff later on in the film. And it's interesting because it's a kind of an unlikely duo. I think <laughs> the way this film progresses or starts off at least, you know, it's like, okay. And at least we know her connection to James. I really liked their little relationship. Fucking. And no, it's good. It's hunters. I can't believe what Thomas Blackburn is. Ta- that yeah. It? Blackburn. Okay. But <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> you know, Katya winner and Hunter S Thompson. I really liked the way they interacted, especially once she was found out. Yeah. And then, it, and she it had was, no problem giving him shit and. No, it worked. It made her character, not just like, ugh, you know, cause it very well could have been that. With the shortcomings this movie has, it could have been worse. It Without very, a doubt. Very easily could have been worse. Those two in particular, I think they did a good job of carrying this film mm-hmm. because it kind of does rely on those two. Millen I wasn't as sold with. Nah, he was decent. That's probably why he's, you know. I think I liked his his cameraman more. <laughs> yeah, Rennie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more believable. Uh, yeah, there were some characters in this that were a lot more believable. Let's see. There is a scene, which I think it's interesting, where she goes into the home, James's that is, and then she's starting to get the signals. Oh, yeah, and, okay. And then she gets in contact with that short wave guy, uh, radio guy, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's telling her about the numbered stations and she kind of calls him out. She's like, didn't you work with the NSA as a code breaker? He's like, yeah, I don't, 
I'll talk about that kind of stuff. You know, which that honestly is kind of like if the, you know, the static and the radio signals mm-hmm. and shit, if that wasn't already a tip off of what the hell to expect. That's also some kind of interesting thread there too of that character, that guy being in the, because it's like with the Cosmic Horror, we already know like once you're in it, I said, you're done. <laughs> it's said and done. But she doesn't know that. We don't really know that. We're just kind of mm-hmm. piecing these things together as it comes along. But I thought that was interesting. Like his knowledge, his background, and that's all you kind of get. We just know that he happened to work with the NSA. He knows this shit. How much does he really know? Right. You know? <clears throat> but it helps carry that into at least some background information about these signals. With the fact that... <sighs> She goes to go record the one in the desert. Yeah. Another stupid jump scare. Yeah. That you could kind of see that coming. But also now in retrospect, it's James, right? I was going to say that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because of what we see and what we get at the end makes a lot more sense, which also makes that kind of that from beyond story. I have a little bit more merit in this film too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, okay. I get it. Even though it's kind of cheap, it's still effective. I need to go back through the credits and find out who performs this song. But the one thing I will forever be grateful for this movie for is there is a song that plays two times in this movie. I can't remember exactly when, but it's a little bit after we first get introduced to Hunter. Okay. And it plays again as the first song that plays over the end credits. The girl in the window fucking slaps. Huh. It is performed by Mark Lenover. Okay. Yeah. I dug that song a lot. I was like, it caught my attention when it pops up in the movie, and I was super happy when it came back through at the end yeah. credits. Yeah, I know exactly what song you're talking about. There's some moments, yeah, where the soundtrack is fairly decent, man. Not mm-hmm. going to lie. It's effective. All right. I know I keep saying this, but for me, the thing that worked probably the most efficient is the use of the EMI, the mm. electromagnetic mm-hmm. interference, because it's like... You can't always show the bad guy or, you know, the beings and all that stuff. We already know that, especially with the Lovecraftian ancient ones and all the elder, all that stuff, right? It's like, okay, so what can you use to make it effective and let you know that there's still a threat, the use of the creepy signals, the use of static? I mean, it's kind of cliche, but it's effective because you know there's a presence there. And even the people under the dosage of the DMT or you getting the message that they're seeing shit and there's a, a malevolent force or being around. So it's like, okay, they did a good job of incorporating that. Otherwise it would have really sucked. Right. So the experiment interludes, the exposition first, what the fuck? I get that they're trying to scare them while they're under the effects of the drug. That was even pointed out when Hunter's little girlfriend mentions it. Yeah. yeah. But, like, if you want them to be in the dark, you can just cover their eyes rather than making the entire room dark. (laughs) I know that they, in real life, they did it for budget reasons, right? Like, that's the easy way to keep this scene cheap. Exactly. But if you're performing a scientific experiment and they're getting yanked away. Oh, dude. Yeah, no. (laughs) Then you have to have those lights on to see what's yanking them. I don't think back then. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know I say that, but you can. I don't know if they had, like night vision cameras or thermal cameras back then in the Mm sixties to record it, even if, but I would keep the lights on (laughs) just cause (laughs) that's just more info for you to use in your nefarious schemes. Totally agree. That bugged the fuck out of me. I think it's a solid point, especially when you understand at a certain point, like when lights go off, 
creepy, crazy shit goes on. We're not seeing it. There's no way for us to detect it. What are we doing here? <laughs> I get the real reason. Oh, of course. And I get that they used it to do another fucking jump scare. Of course. Of course, <laughs> man. That's all, I mean, that's what you kind of get in this film are the jump scares. And that's okay. Some of them are fine. Like, that's a better jump scare yeah. than some of the others we get. There's and, one a little bit later on. It's kind of, you know, it's coming. But it was decent still. Is Callie's is what I'm getting at. Uh, like, hers it was decent. Callie's worked with how that scene was playing out. In no, fact, no. I think Callie's fucking breakdown and shit was actually one of the better parts of this movie. No, she did a good job. But then it, the ending of it is weird. Because it's like when that scene ends is when it ended for everyone else. And then they're just suddenly in the next scene. Yeah. And they didn't organically get out of that situation at all. No, no, no. It's just like we passed out and we woke up. Now let's get out of here. Where's she at? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Where can we go? <laughs> up to that point, it was great. No, I mean, you could feel the tension, the dread. You know, she goes to check in the kitchen because Callie's calling it out. She's like, yeah, mm -hmm. they're down by the kitchen door. She goes down there and you get the jump scare, of course. But, but that was a good one. Yeah. But knowing this film, how it plays out and then going back, of course, watching it again. It makes me feel like, yeah, it's James the whole time. Whether he's trying to communicate or just let her know that he's in the presence of her or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. But I think it works. It's still effective is what I'm getting at. The other thing with the experiment flashbacks, they were supposed to happen long enough ago that I guess it makes sense that they feel this way. But they also kind of feel like they exist in their own weird little huh. vacuums gotcha. where once the tape ends... Like, that's almost the end of that universe, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, there's it. no logical follow-up to <laughs> what's going on in those. Yeah. Because that's almost the more interesting story. I agree. If like, you're having this go on in your experiments, then the interesting thing is following up on this and figuring out what, how is this going on? Yes, and like, okay, we got what we needed, and that's that. Uh, no, I don't think that's how it works. I don't know. Something about them... I think the lighting bugged me more than that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I understand that. But you know, like you were saying, for budgetary and every practical reasons, yeah, you know, they did what they had to do for that. I do like that they just straight up fucking talked about from beyond, though, <laughs> and especially like that she responds with like after fucking Hunter tells her the whole story of like it turns out that when they were seeing them, they could see him right back. No, that's a real fucked up thing to be telling me right now. <laughs> yeah. But I think that whole dialogue, that dump, that expo dump, was meant for audiences who are not familiar with Lovecraft at all. I mean, that's like, if you haven't pieced it together by now, this is what's going on. I wish I would have wrote more of them down, but there was like two or three times in this movie that blatantly felt like, audience catch-up moments, if that makes sense. No, like, we're going to stop for a second, lay out what's going on, and then we're going to yeah. move forward. I don't think this is a confusing film, per se, but for some, it could be. That's all I'm saying. And I get it. It makes sense why they would do that. Okay, so with that in mind, I kind of just want to jump to the end, because the most no, interesting part of this movie is the reveal at the end and how it yeah. recontextualizes some things. Because we find out that fucking Blackburn was subject Patient. 11. Yeah, exactly. That so we've been watching like, this entire oh, time. And that makes sense too. Which also Given. means he's been a receiver this entire time. Yeah, exactly. 
and his entire career of doing some of this shit, which part of it is side effects. They point out that, like, he's going to have fucking mental side effects from this. And we kind of get to see glimpses of that. But if he's a receiver, then he's probably been working for them the entire time. Mm-hmm. Which That's then ties back in to when she first was like, when she asked him, like, it says, you know, you got busted for this crime, this crime, this crime. How did you not do any time? It's because he's one of the people in the know. Yep. And she didn't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he forgot. That was probably the most interesting bit of this movie. I didn't expect them to do a twist that does recontextualize quite a few scenes. Without it's just that it's yeah. not a good enough movie for me to think about it. No, too hard. No. And that's the unfortunate thing about this film is it does a lot of things right. It's just, uh, it kind of, it's still a little lackluster, you know? Like the ideas and concepts and everything are interesting enough. It's, they're just kind of like, like you were saying, it felt like somebody just kind of learned about it and just kind of pieced it together as they went. And oh shit, that was cool. Yeah, oh, shit, and like, was... it's like, yeah, I get it, man. It is cool. But you have to flesh these things out and think about them a little bit more, you know. But things do make sense, regardless of like the cheap jump scares and all that other shit. Like the story itself is not bad at all. It's really not. And we've already mentioned the two characters. They, they do a great job. They really do. And even some of the sub-characters, Callie, that actress, mm-hmm. she did a good job. The guy who plays the NSA co-breaker, Henry Kell, he did a good job, even in that little brief moment he was in it. Some of the other people, like you said, um, Rennie, Segan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he did a pretty good job. So XA was fine, but <laughs> it didn't like blow my skirt up or nothing like that. I think just even <laughs> thinking about the, the genre as a whole, it's like, ah, you know, Maybe if you want to kind of get your feet wet a little bit, this would be a good entry point. Okay, so that's what I was trying to wonder. Like, it's not that I really dislike this movie. No, I don't dislike it either. It's just, ah, it's all right for me. But I was also trying to think, like, who would I recommend this to? Well, I probably wouldn't recommend it either because there's other movies that are probably going to appeal to that person more. If it's a person that's going to like this movie, but they're interested in, like, cosmic horror, then you might as well just send them to From Beyond. I was going to say, yeah, if you want to see the superior version. (laughs) They're going to have more fun. Oh, yeah, dude. They're going to have a better idea of what they're going to get into if they go further down that path. I agree. This is kind of like, man, a super watered-down version of that. And if you're recommending it to them because they like things kind of like The Conjuring or Paranormal Activity, then you could just recommend them The Conjuring or Paranormal Activity (laughs) or Sinister, which is the superior of all of those. I agree. But at least they would be at home and comfortable with this particular film, as opposed to like what we already mentioned from Beyond and the others, the further you get into this. If they're trying to get into Ted Levine's movies, there's better movies to suggest. We already have, <laughs> but you're right. If this you're, is not his trying best. Trying to get into Katia Winter, <laughs> like oh, yeah, yeah, even yeah. her two appearances on Legends of Tomorrow might be better. Yeah, but it's like it's not bad though. She does a good job, but you're right. I mean, there's better out there. Still, no discredit, and I know I've said it before, but the subject matter I feel like is more interesting than what we get on film. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, but like I so said once again, no discredit. It's just it is what it is. If you like the found footage aspect of it, yeah, it's there's not bad. other stuff that <laughs> I would recommend I, I above know, it. I know, I know. It's like, we're not trying to bash this film because that's not what this is. It's just, it is what it is, dude. Like, there's better stuff if you want to see this type of stuff. You know what, though? I will say, I'm not mad at the book. It no. was, I'm glad I watched this movie overall. 
as a Lovecraft fan, I'm, ha- I'm glad to have watched this no, movie it, just to it, see it, this other take on this story. I was going to say, it's interesting because we have brought that up before too. It's, it's such an interesting thing to know that Lovecraft, even in the smallest corners, is still getting recognition, still has an impact, you know, in media and what have you. So, you know, now it's elevated, of course, because of things like Lovecraft Country and all the other shit that we've been seeing lately, you know, color out of space and, and what have you. So here we are talking about almost 100 years later. So here's the real question wow. to pose to the listeners is... You know, in the spirit of this movie, should we rewatch it on DMT? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, here's something that would be interesting. Now, I don't know if you've seen it, but I saw that this film was shot in 3D. What? So it makes me wonder what it would be like under the influence while watching this film in 3D. It might have a bigger impact. You know what else something I want to, like, give an ups to this movie for? I actually really dig the poster. No, it looks cool as fuck the poster is fucking dope it is really sick both the posters i've seen are pretty dope yeah because like you've seen the green one too, one too right mm-hmm. with like the banshee up against yeah, the wall it's pretty dope nobody uh, says banshee in the movie i'm gonna point I that know. out <laughs> literally no one says banshee mm. in the movie because know, he but doesn't say it what would you call this though <laughs> you can't call it from beyond no well i don't know but yeah, the poster is dope. I will say that much. I wouldn't be mad if it was on the wall. I'm not saying that we do need it, but I'm just saying I wouldn't be mad at it if it were. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah it's dope. I don't think we need it. But <laughs> no, no, I'm saying exactly. But it's still nice. I wouldn't be mad if I saw it. But yeah, overall, uh, there's better. There's lots worse, but uh, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's not bad. We haven't picked next week. <laughs> I was going to say, guess what waters we're back in. <laughs> God damn it. What was, hey, we flipped a coin. What was the other one? It was also from the book, what, wasn't maybe, it? Uh, I think we had the ring. The original? Let's do that. Okay, I'm down. Japanese ring. Yeah. Not yeah. the American ring. No, no, no. Ringu. J-ring. <laughs> Ringu, yeah. Next time will be Ringu. And Sweet. I can finally fucking watch it. Hell yeah. Because I've never seen it. I haven't watched it in a long time, so it'll be fun to revisit. Yeah, next time will be Ringu. And, you know, if you like it, then you should... Put a ring on. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely talk about that next week. <laughs> uh, for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>